0: Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Our guest today is Nick de La Forge. He is a general partner at Planet A Ventures, a German early stage climate tech fund investing in startups that have a significant positive impact on our planet he previously worked at Earlybird and practices entrepreneurial craft by starting and helping a number of startups i really appreciate nick as a human being and for his unique value system we are very similar in a way we both leave and breathe climate and are obsessed to do something about the climate crisis even if it moves the needle just a little bit and that's also why you are here you are awake and conscious of this enormous challenge to bring society to a whole different place. But what an incredible adventure. And I can guarantee you that if you continue listening to the show and to our incredible guest, you will also move mountains with us. And I truly think you will enjoy this one. We will be humble, vulnerable, and take you behind the scenes of running a climate fund. Let's go. So Nick, I'm incredibly happy to have you on the show. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Johan. Equally happy to be here today.
0: As a starter, could you briefly describe Planet A ventures for those that don't know you, fund size, geography, ticket size?
1: Absolutely. So Planet A in a nutshell is a green tech fund, meaning that we're not only focusing on climate, but we can also invest into solutions which... uh, basically help on a biodiversity aspect, resources, savings and waste prevention. And in terms of fund size, the target fund size is a three digit million, um, where which we intend to invest across Europe, plus the UK, plus Israel. Um, and with initial tickets between one to uh, maybe two, maybe two and a half million uh, across pre-seed, seed and series A-stage companies. And I think what um, what is a bit of a standout comp- compared to generalist funds is that we are not only investing into software, but also into hardware solutions.
0: Thanks for that. And funny anecdote, just uh, to, to get the show started. I remember very vividly one afternoon in the fall of 2019 where you and I, with Sebastian Heidmann from Extancia, It was called uh, Beyond Black back then. Um, We met at a tiny little Japanese restaurant in Berlin, and the three of us had a a pretty incredible uh, and vulnerable moment where we felt desperate to do something meaningful for the climate. And since nobody seemed to care to launch dedicated climate funds to invest exclusively into startups that can take us out of this mess, we thought, uh, why don't we do it? And little did we know that two and a half years later, this afternoon, would be the birthplace of not one, not two, but three climate tech funds, Extancia, Planet Aventures and Climate Capital. How crazy is that? So I wanted to hear your perspective. How did you feel that day? And was it also a turning point in your own journey?
1: I think what happened back then is really, as you describe it, it, it was this moment of us sitting together, Uh, understanding enough about the ecosystem to know that um, it's going to be a very uh, very tough road ahead because um, of our understanding of how the the venture world in general works and knowing that as an emerging fund manager, it's always uh, one of the very hard things to do to establish a new brand. And I think for for the two of us, it was this inflection point in which we started to talk to a lot of people. And um, while it might have felt like like moving sideways a bit um, I think what we fundamentally understood is that there was a big need for what we had in mind. Um, talking to not only people like Sebastian uh, which were trying to spare ideas on how can more capital more high, highly qualified capital fl- flow into the market but to talk to founders predominantly and really understand their pain points and really understand that the existing general, uh, general species are for for the biggest part, simply not equipped to fund the necessary innovation. And this is what I remember vividly. And then I think from from then on, the the goal became clearer. Um, And then it was only a question of which are the right tools to get from A to B.
0: And it was a question of when. And now it's easy uh, two and a half years later to to look back and, and be proud of everything that's been accomplished. Back then, it looked very elusive. And I wanted to go back for for folks listening to the reality check that is fundraising for a VC fund. Uh, In my opinion, there are two ways to do it. Of course, uh, with a lot of options in between, but essentially two boxes. One is the traditional path, which is uh, a bunch of VC guys, generally white, old males with 10 to 20 years of VC experience, deciding to create a new fund. And they drop drop the the big brands on the table. They show their track record slide. They go on a roadshow to convince the LPs that already worked with. And the run is on, you know, recycling the same capital into the same uh, pockets. And then there's the other way, which with uh, the the hustle path, if you will, Um, because when you aren't a product of VC, there's not a ton of alternatives. So you have to hustle your way into it. And could you talk us through the reality of fundraising for a fund? with the hustle path?
1: The hustle path, I love it. Uh, absolutely. And I think b- before I, I, I can talk about this, it's really important to mention that I, I am not doing this by myself, but I have a, a insanely powerful team um, and this is pure team play up until here. About fundraising itself, someone recently put the picture into my mind um, of fundraising or the metaphor of fundraising for a fund being you basically have to assemble an airplane midair. What that means is you have to draw these growing concentric circles of trust points with different investor groups um, so that the next relevant group has enough uh, trust points um, to invest. And so our strategy was, uh, and to say it worked out would be uh, in hindsight, a very easy thing to say, but of course there were an insane amount of uncertainties along the way. To start to talk to the people that we knew best, which were which were uh, other founders and potentially family offices, and only after now two and a half years, we are we are at a point where we were regularly able to talk to also. And I think the the real hustle is that uh, for fundraising, you're expected to have what you just said, the track record, on which you then can raise a fund. But to build up that track record, you need capital in the first place. So it's a it's really a chicken and egg problem. And um, I want to to come back to what I said initially that I'm not doing this by myself, but with a, with a team of very seasoned entrepreneurs and investors. And we literally threw everything we had into the air. Like we we went through our entire network. We uh, spent I would say every awake minute on uh, trying to figure out how how can we crack that nut. And it, it took an insane amount, and I think what sticks with me is the realization of uh, the necessity of privilege, because um, this the the uh, the this period of thirst. So most of us we went without a salary for two years, mm-hmm. and this is I know that this is not feasible for everybody, um, and I think this is um, the the same way. Uh, l- Investing into existing managers is going to replicate um, existing behavior patterns, Mm -hmm. which obviously led towards an economy which is operating outside of the planetary boundaries. Um, It is we're going to reinforce patterns if we do not make it easier for new managers to get into the market. So you have to be at a certain standpoint in your life to be able to allocate capital, which I think there there is reasons and arguments why this should be the case. But then on the other hand, it severely limits us in the perspectives that we can see in the investing world.
0: Absolutely. So there's two camps, right? One camp is we need a high barrier to entry so that not everyone becomes an allocator because we need operators. We need to, to make sure there's, there's not an imbalance between all the people that have the money and want to deploy it and, and the, the, the few that are operating. But the other camp is also um, we need a, we need more diversity. So uh, how do we enable more outliers, female founders or female fund managers, diverse backgrounds to become fund managers, because um, it's not only good to empower uh, a a broader set of people to give equal opportunities, but they also tend to fund and give opportunities to the same diverse people. It's two birds with one stone. Mm. Any thoughts Mm. to share?
1: So I sat next to a female founder, one of the strongest founders I know um, at a conference in in Zurich last year, and uh, while I was sitting next to her, she was preparing a LinkedIn post furiously um, posting about the uh, allocation of capital that went into female uh, only or partially female founding teams, which was uh, um, only um, percentage points Mm -hmm. of of the entire capital. And then I said to her, "I, I completely understand your frustration. But if I match that with the data that we have from our deal flow, there, this is not disproportionate. This is what we are seeing in terms of uh, male and female teams. And by no means is that an excuse uh, towards investors that they should uh, continue investing with the pattern that they are investing in. But what I'm pointing towards to is a very interesting analogy to also the, the climate tech world, which is that we are living in a very complex system. Like the, to systemically change the amount of female founders that you see, for example, like that's only one aspect of diversity, of course. You also have to establish better role models. You have to have uh, th- this starts in in early education to make this a more appealing career path uh, for, um, for 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 women. And um, I think the why this is unsatisfying is because it's usually a very complex answer. And it can't be. There is usually no silver bullet, and I think that's a big uh, um, so that is in synchronicity with what we are seeing in climate change. It's not about either flying less or stop eating meat. Mm-hmm. It is usually all of the all of the options combined plus a lot more.
0: Would you have any insight or suggestion for emerging fund managers to really optimize their fundraising? Any one trick that has really worked for you guys? You'd like to diffuse? So
1: we've been we've been observing this quite in detail over time. Um, And we've been getting a lot of feedback around uh, track record, around how long we as a founding team know each other and have been working with each other around portfolio not being in existence, around brand, around strong competition and so on. And after after now two years, I would say most of that is excuses. The thing that had the biggest, by far the biggest impact on our fundraise is momentum. The moment that... Mm -hmm. AP started to feel that there is uh, that it might be might be might be close and it might be might become tricky to get into the fund that is really where where things turned upside down where really for us the momentum changed from uh, from headwind to tailwind and nothing but that but does
0: that mean that you turn nose previous nose into sudden yeses or is the fresh pipeline that is uh, entering the funnel that say oh my god this thing is closing in four weeks and we need to get in now both Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good yeah. to know.
1: Yeah, and and especially especially on the uh, on the the ones that have been waiting, there is there is of course a lot of APs, as we, as we just talked. There is no real incentive to come in early, and especially for for the ones who've been who've been with us uh, along the journey for for a year or so and have been observing uh, what we do. Uh, this has been the biggest push to them to to very quickly get to a decision, and a positive one in most cases.
0: And, and again, to reemphasize, so you say unchanged team, unchanged value proposition, vision, material, just the terms, which is timeline compressed. And, and here's the open window now.
1: And, and yeah. remaining
0: allocation. And remaining allocation. But you cannot lie on that front. You need Absolutely. To be transparent.
1: Absolutely. No, no, no. I, I would never. So there's no
0: shortcut in a way.
1: No, there's you no, need to go through no that shock.
0: pain of sort yeah. of getting, uh, you know, the logarithmic progression. And then only when you get to that tipping point where there is sufficient capital allocation and proof can you mm. push, rush through yeah. the, the final mile. Absolutely.
1: Fundraising for a venture fund is not a linear thing. It is not that, let's say, you aim at raising the fund in a year and a half, two years, whatever the time period is, and that you will see a, a linear increase in commitments, but that it's more so an exponential or a, a step function. And this is this is important to keep in mind. You might not immediately see the, the outcome or the output of your work. But uh, if, if you're lucky, then at some point the, the flywheel has accelerated to a point where where this becomes rewarding. Um, and I think resilience really was the uh, the name of the game for us to really uh, keep that in, to, in the back of our heads and to trust that with the thesis that we, that we were setting out with, that this was something which had the potential and which is the right thing. Uh, and we're still convinced of that, of course, that it's the right thing to do it and then to, to maintain with that. And I think to... Um, yeah, so, so in the trenches and with the many, many no's that we got to keep that in in the back of our head and still continue to push.
0: Resiliency and consistency. I would tend to agree with that. It is not a three three months. One today, an attractive founder or an attractive startup can raise it around in three to four months. You cannot raise a fund in three to four months. It's just not possible. Mm. It will at least Mm. take a a year or two and probably even longer than what you initially Mm. expect. So. The advice that I would make is uh, breathe free impact and there will be a lot of mini micro impacts. Uh, try to make sure it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not fatal to mm. the airplane that is flying me there. Mm. I wanted to switch to and, and, yeah. Sorry. And,
1: quickly, quickly. In addition to that, we, we both uh, I think by now know why that is because with a with a with a startup you are able to build momentum. You are able to say, okay, this is the round. This is happening now. Or in two months' time, and if if we are right, then you will never be able to buy in to this company at this price again. While for a fund, if you're if you're if you're coming in at the first closing that's or true. in the last closing, uh, hardly matters. It's m- maybe some equalization fees, uh, but but that's really it. And so and even even perspectively to look at a second fund and say yeah, probably there is that's still right. the space in the second fund.
0: There's John Entryway. That's right. We're not all in the Sequoia andresen category where fundraising is no, is no longer relevant and the window of opportunity is very narrow for lps to join yeah. and um there's something else uh, just to 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 wrap this this topic I, I i realize how much of a human um element this is when you sh- fundraising for a startup it's very much product or tech oriented or it's very much uh facing the problem when you're raising for a fund, it's just humans talking to humans and they were facing human problems, meaning that the mm. team uh, problems that you, you might face, right? The friction that there is within the team so that you do the sacrifices and you're willing to change and you're willing to optimize the, the team for this kind of long journey is, is really the name of the game. But it's also a human side on the LP front because they're investing in teams above all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning, you're raising nothing but an idea right? mm. on, 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 on a, on a slide of PowerPoint. Uh, slides on a bunch of PowerPoint slides. And I think what what helped us to most, and then I'm really happy to let this go, I think what helped us most was, um, no matter how hard it was, to to somehow be able to show what we would like to invest into. So so to build a a warehouse portfolio of companies that we invested in the beginning tiny amounts of money into our own capital mostly, um, that, that really was helpful to make it much more tangible what we had in mind with Planet A.
0: There's there's the notion of vulnerability again. um, uh, It's not surprising that VC historically has has often been the private turf of for men and for testosterone. So not a ton of humility and vulnerability, but as we enter a new phase for VC with a new generation of fund managers like you and me, we need to open up and bring more transparency to crack this box open. And if we speak up more will, that's the only way to change VC from the inside. You told me that it's also important to take care of yourself along the way. And this is something that little people are talking about on podcasts or very public uh, about it. But it it goes back to the notion of climate anxiety. You know, we planted that seed to me about two years ago. Uh, I didn't know the term. I thought it was very clever because that definitely felt that way. And I know a ton of people around me that felt the, the same way, especially during COVID time. So what what did you mean by that exactly, to take care of yourself?
1: My aspiration, uh, with all the humbleness that, that that I try to have, is to be an ever-so-small wheel in um, in a movement that contributes towards building a sustainable economy, in, in, in an economy which is using less resources than we have per year. And by taking care of myself, I mean that this is very urgent and this requires a lot of velocity but at the same time that this that i don't help anybody if i do this for a year and then have to say okay i i I can't i can't do it anymore and i I personally had a moment last year where where i uh, had physical symptoms of really noticing okay this is this is this is my limit mm-hmm. i i've reached my limit and not with the conviction of ever saying i'm smarter better more resistant more resilient than anybody but simply um ignoring earlier warning signs like tiredness or so uh be- because of that climate anxiousness um and i i mean i i straight up knew that that i was going down that path and I think then then I had this physical symptom, and um, th- that was a very important lesson to me. And by now, um, around half a year later, I'm at a point where I'm able to to, to do this in a much more balanced way.
0: Is it because the, you tap into your energy, right? The, the, the batteries, you depleted your batteries so low because it is a taxing process to fundraise for a fund. There's uncertainty along the way you just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's just much more complex than you deal is that is that more because of that or is it really seeing the wall that civilization as we know it is facing and that no one seems to really care or that it's still business as usual what was the most depleting part of of the process for you
1: i think i think it's both i think it's continuously um facing and learning more about the consequences of climate change and global pollution, which go much beyond climate change on the one end. And then also understanding how how dire the situation is and like how much more we have to do. And on the other hand, um, to what I said earlier, that we threw everything into the air. So so I talked to all my friends um, Mm -hmm. and they somehow found an involvement in Planet A. Um, And of course, there is also simply a lot of responsibility. Um, and I think that the combination of the two of them um, really made and makes us also, also you push to, to towards limits. And I think what changed for me is that I don't want to push toward my limit. I want to push to 90 percent, 80 percent of it. Um, but I want to be able to do that for the next 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. Because we we have similarly to our investment um, horizons, we have to have a longer breath than simply to do this for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I can I can chime in uh, here with my personal perspective. I definitely fell a, a, a big low right after COVID hit because everything was uh, put on on stall mode just uh, capital stopped being deployed. There was still the uncertainty with the potential Donald Trump term too. So it could have been really, really, really nasty, really quick. And um, I, I went this uh, a deeper path of really qu- questioning whether w- what I was trying to, to accomplish was even uh, worth it if civilization was on, on the brinks of collapse. Um, what saved me in a way is just really taking a step back as always, right, always helps. But looking at, reading sci-fi, reading climate fictions, looking at a really broad horizon where those guys are not talking about the next decade. They're talking about the next century. And it reminds you that civilization goes through a bumpy road and it actually could be the biggest opportunity of our lifetime because we know that we have a ton of problems as society. We know there's inequalities are just not fair. We know that the system, as we know it, is extractive uh, as fuck (laughs) and There is so much that needs to be changed that it seems almost unavoidable to have a reset. Now, we want that reset to be as less painful as possible, of course, for us, for this generation. But it needs to be quite brutal in a way. And the goal of our funds and the community as a whole climate is to make sure that uh, the path is not fatal because there is a chance that we're be going at four degrees five degrees six degrees if it's business as usual so we want to ensure that we remain at two to three degrees because 1.5 seems already a lot of past um, and we need to be that but it's also to create to op- and I don't want to be a defeatist, right? But we want to create a path that is as uh, less, least brutal as possible. Um, there is still a chance to invest. And, and it's just incredibly rewarding to talk to entrepreneurs. They're just equally value-oriented as we are. They have big hopes. They want to take CO2 out of the air. They're creating innovation that's just mind-blowing. And even just of being around this community is the best way to recharge your batteries, I find for myself.
1: All right. I I fully agree, and I uh, I mean I very vividly remember the the book that you've wrote about um, how can the future look like, and I think this is this is the main task that we have at hand, right? To to explore future scenarios, and then from that derive how can we get there? What are the necessary steps to to get to exactly that scenario? And I think this is, as you say, this is this is uh, recharging as hell.
0: Now I want to penetrate the brain of Planet A. Not just you, but you as a team, and understand maybe w- one area where you've completely changed your mind over the last two years. Just to inform us how you've been thinking and how you you perceive the ever evolving climate tech space.
1: So there is there is a couple I could name. So one is in food tech. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm under the conviction that if let's say, uh, a lab-grown meat startup um, talks to us and asks us to become the lead investor into a round, I simply would not do so, uh, because, again, of adverse selection, because I must assume that they've talked to every food fund, which is out there, which is, like, in, in the stages that we invest, definitely more helpful than we are, and they've said no, for whatever reason, and I know that a dedicated food fund is able to spend much more capacity on Building a dedicated thesis on the underlying tech or team, uh, than than we would ever be able to do. And so, for us, when we, when we look, for example, look at food, it, it's something we would only consider if this comes uh, with a with a lead investor from from dedicated
0: food. As opposed um, to what? Then, meaning, what are the areas you know, that you concentrate on?
1: I mean, there is there is uh, this is not a hard exclude, so we still look into it. Um, and there's of course also things like. Uh, anything happening in AgTech, um, for for example um, analytics, analytics for carbon sequestration or um, uh, uh, carbon um, soil carbon and so on actually which is another topic on which we uh, recently conducted a deep dive
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was quite impactful because we found that um, to contrary and believe uh, carbon sequestering through carbon soil is very likely not as efficient as we think because recent studies have shown that yes while you're able to sequester a lot of carbon in the in the more shallow um, uh, layers of of the soil, um the carbon which is stored below uh, in some cases evaporates and gets back into the ecosystem. so there is like a um an equilibrium effect between the between the two layers and so, so that in order gain. to really it's a temporary a game. Sometimes it sometimes it's it stored like it, it it continues to be stored at deeper levels, but it uh, points us towards the fact that uh, our um, analytics software or sensors, they also have to take that into account. It, it's not enough to only do that on a high level. We also have to dig deeper. Mm-hmm.
0: Nick, I think uh, I would love to to jump into our rapid fire round. If you're up for it, you know the concept. Sure. I'm going to ask two absolutely quick questions with two answers, option A or option B, and I would love your answer in a brief sentence. Question number one is generalist versus specialized How would you categorize planet A ventures and what kind of funds do we need more from now on in your opinion?
1: So we are definitely a generalist fund um, in in the space of green tech and I think what we need more of is uh, specialized funds with very deep uh, chemical expertise. Um, I think, and you've seen the graphs about over allocating into micro mobility and uh, slightly into, into energy, but the, the real, uh, like some of the real drivers of impact are still left out um, in, the, in the chemical and manufacturing world
0: now contrarian versus consensus decision how do you run investment decisions internally and how does your voting mechanism work
1: we have to find uh, consensus in our icm so so not not complete consensus but the majority of our icm has to vote for a certain company everybody can veto so everybody has the possibility of blocking a deal but uh, as a as an icm we have to as a majority come to a positive uh, result
0: so a, with six GPS, is that correct? Yep. Six votes. You need at least three of them to provide a, a okay, or is that a score system?
1: It's uh, four. It's f- at least four four positive votes. So we have okay. uh, basically have uh, four different um, voting options. One is a veto. Then is rather no. Then we have rather yes and yes with conviction. And at least the the deal lead uh, has to vote with
0: yes with conviction. So let's move on to the next one, which is one enormous fund versus 20 medium funds. What is more likely to drive more CO2 reduction?
1: So I would say um, the, the small funds, uh, simply mm-hmm. for, the, for the dynamic that we uh, initially talked about, that um, repetitive behavior is going to repeat existing patterns. And what we need is to break out... Of the of how we've done it for the past 100 years, and so I think the the, the risk that the, the big fund at some point gets uh, corrupted by the idea on, on uh, leaving impact a bit out of the equation and uh, do investments which uh, sound more appealing and might not have a direct um, positive impact. It's too big, and I think with um, smaller funds we see a higher potential for innovation beyond the like a higher potential for systemic innovation, because I think the investment world itself needs to change next to of course the technologies uh, and business models that we're funding.
0: All right. Thanks Nick for coming on the show. It's been great to have you and to get your human perspective. Uh, And to you all, don't forget to subscribe if you want to listen to more amazing guests and thanks for tuning in. Big pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.